radio.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Zone One Digest, the best of the week on Zone One Radio, the Mayor of London funded community radio station for central London. I'm Stuart Hardy, a grumbly, emaciated cabbage patch doll, and to distract you from the bitter, awful weather we've been having this Easter and all year thus far, London GP, motorsport show presenter Matthew Layton dared to brave the cold and went out looking for driver Alex Brundle by Tower Bridge, where they managed to pretend it was decent weather and completely ignored it. These men have gone to extreme levels of testicular fortitude. Have a listen. Facebook.com slash So by the magic of radio, here's an interview I recorded with uh, the charming Alex Brundle, actually in a porter cabin at Silverstone last weekend. Joining me now, it's Alex Brundle. Alex, how are you? Very good, thank you. The last time you and I met, it was in slightly more glamorous surroundings than this. We were at the Motorsport Hall of Fame. Um, I'd had a couple of glasses of champagne. You were being very well behaved. A um, bit different where we are now. We're in a part of Silverstone that I didn't know existed. I didn't know it existed either. And it is weeing with rain. <laughs> <laughs> so we found the secret little room at Silverstone. What, what does this place, not this particular porter cabin, but what does Silverstone mean to you? Well, obviously, Silverstone very much synonymous. Uh, synonym- oh, trying to speak, shall I? Uh, right, well, synonymous yeah, <laughs> with uh, with the BRDC. I, I know you won't, by the way. Uh, with, with, uh, with the BRDC, and um, obviously, uh, as part of the Young Driver Program, that's one of the most important things to me. I've been part of the BRDC um, uh, in spirit, maybe not as a member, but uh, with my father as a member and obviously associated with the club as a young racing driver for quite a long time now and it's a it's a really important uh, institution for for british racing drivers um and it's based here this is the home of british motorsport and and it feels like sacred ground um to most of the british racing drivers that i know and definitely to myself so do you know this place like the back of your hand as a circuit then? yeah i mean it's it's well known you know between drivers uh, that when you go to Silverstone, the British drivers are going to know their stuff, and um, quite a lot of the other drivers around the world uh, that I've spoken to find this circuit a real challenge, mm. which I've never understood because I think you know fast flowing corners. It's a circuit you can attack, and you have to take the time out of, and, and but you can get away with it, you know. Uh, and I've never found it a really challenging circuit. I found it an enjoyable circuit. But for example, French drivers that I'm that I'm driving with at the moment think that Silverstone is one of the most challenging circuits in the world, which only plays into our hands if we know it better. Better than where you've always known. Well, speaking of French drivers, congratulations on your uh, new deal for this season. Can you tell us a little bit about Oak Racing and who they are and why you've decided to join them? Yeah, they are a, a prototype team, sports prototype team, in running in LMP2 this year. They have previously run in in LMP1. LMP2 um, is LMP2 being Le Mans Prototype Two, mm-hmm. which is uh, a formula running primarily in the twenty-four hours of Le Mans mm-hmm. uh, and the associated championships. Yeah. Um, so it's it's sports car racing, sports prototype racing. They are based in Le Mans. Uh, Le Mans circuit is pretty much the perimeter road mm-hmm. of the of the industrial estate wow. that they uh, uh, that they find themselves on. So uh, they know. The spirit of Le Mans is very much in the team. Uh, it's owned by a gentleman called uh, Jacques Nicolet, uh, who's very passionate 
Frenchman, very excited about endurance racing and, and very committed to making the team as good as it can be. And uh, I'm we're running two cars so far in the World Endurance Championship, yeah. two cars announced, uh, with myself, Olivier Pla, and David Hanemeyer Hansen in one car, uh, Bertrand Baguette, uh, Ricardo Gonzalez, and Martin Plowman in the other. Okay. So it was a pretty serious attack on the 24 hours of Le Mans. I'd say I'm slightly concerned though. Are you driving a Morgan? Yes, the car is the car is homologated, badged as a Morgan. Yeah, uh, aren't they made out of wood, or is that just the road going versions? <laughs> this, partic- <laughs> this particular Morgan's made out of carbon fibre. Uh, there are some Morgans mm. made out of wood, mm. uh, <laughs> which you know it's uh, Morgan. Uh, I'm obviously uh, only just kind of getting to grips with it as I'm. I've only been part of the team for a short period of time, and I've been really interested as a British car company, yeah. a small British car company, and, and the small car company is something I think we do very well in Britain. It is, of course. You had Noble and uh, and Radical, Caterham, yeah, exactly, making small sport, you know, small uh, line sports cars. Yeah, um, and uh, I think it's a really good. Uh, brand to be to be following us to Le Mans. Why not? Yeah. Um, have you driven it yet? I have. We've uh, we've done some testing uh, in uh, in Spain, um, and it went all was all was good. Um, all of the drivers feel very comfortable in the car. Yeah. So far, the testing has, has been positive. Yeah. London GP can be heard every week on ZoneOneRadio.com. ZoneOneRadio.com. Hello, ladies, gentlemen, and the sun god Ra, who didn't listen to my pagan ritual I performed last weekend to get some decent weather for a change. To whom I say, you're a meanie head. I'm Stuart Hardy, this is Zone 1 Digest, the best of the week on Zone 1 Radio, and up next, technology with Zoe Cunningham on Tech Talk Fest, where this week Zoe had a chat with Kata Reardon, who was set the almost impossible task of setting up the coverage of the Olympics on the BBC last summer. Have a listen and cast your mind back to that last time you saw the sun. Here's Tech Talk. You're listening to Tech Talk Fest with myself, Zoe Cunningham. Every week we talk to a key player in the UK technology scene. And this week I'm lucky enough to speak to the lady behind the BBC's 2012 Olympics coverage, Kate O'Riordan. So welcome to my special guest, Kate O'Riordan, who is head of product for Sport and 2012, and we all know what that means, um, at the BBC. Hi Kate, can you tell us a bit about what your role entails? As head product for Sport and 2012 BBC, my role is to both define the strategy and the vision, uh, in the most recent case being for delivering the Olympics online, so that's uh, across mobile, tablet, connected TV and across PC as well. So define the strategy and the vision, uh, build the team to develop it, but also the way the product managers work at BBC, we also are responsible for delivery as well. So uh, recruit the team uh, and then also drive it right the way through to uh, to delivery, so in that, in that case was uh, the Olympics last summer, so 17 days of coverage across uh, two and a half thousand hours of live and on demand coverage, 24 simultaneous live streams across four platforms. I can't even begin to imagine how you would do that. Is that the biggest challenge you faced in your career? Uh, I think it's the biggest challenge I'm ever going to face in, in my career. I think you know, um, it was a huge opportunity. Um, you know, Home Olympics, 
it was here, it was in London, in my hometown, um, you know, for the host, uh, host broadcaster, the BBC in London. I think, you know, nobody on my team had ever done anything like we were setting out to achieve. Um, you know, not my bosses, not me, not anybody. Uh, they, they, those sorts of people just don't exist, you know, to, to delivering a home Olympics. So uh, I'm hoping that's the biggest challenge that I'll ever face. Everything we plain sailing after that. Um, and, um, uh, and I learned an absolute ton. You know, the person I started out in, uh, in March of 2010 is a completely different person to how I feel I am now in terms of the things that I have learned and I made a bucket load of mistakes uh, and there are all sorts of things that I would do differently. The strategy and the vision actually would be the one thing I wouldn't change, which was to set out to make sure that our audience never missed a moment in the games, uh, not just in terms of all those hours, two and a half thousand hours of live and on-demand coverage, but also across those four platforms. It was absolutely the right thing to do and it all seems completely inevitable now and everyone goes, oh, that was great, that's right, that's what you should have done. But you know, when you're sitting there you know, with a, bit, a blank sheet of paper that just says two and a half thousand hours of coverage, that's what we had, um, you know, uh, that's quite daunting. That, beginning bit of those projects I think is actually the much, much, much the hardest um, and, and it all went brilliantly but you know uh, the, the road that we got there was, uh, was, was an interesting one. How did you go about it? I mean how did you even get started? Um, uh, it's all like anything it's, um, it's about the people so it's about the people that you work with you know I had a fantastic creative director who I worked with in terms of uh, defining the, the UX and the, and, the, and, the, and the creative vision you know fantastic engineers who we you know, are working with to, in order to talk about what's technically possible, you know, uh, fantastic uh, project managers and program managers who can uh, implement that for you, you know, brilliant product managers who are working for me, who are experts in their own field. All of those things are about getting the right people at the right time on the project. And sometimes the person who's the right to start the thing off and come up with a fantastic vision with you is not the same person who takes it all the way through to delivery. And it's about understanding that. Um, but, you know, None of those things will ever happen unless you have a fantastic team. And you know, if you look at um, you know, how many organisations had a fantastic Olympics, you know, we had a great Olympics, you know, TFL had a great Olympics, BT had a great Olympics, uh, you know, the mobile network operators had a fantastic Olympics. And, um, and that was about, I think, what happened at the BBC, which was it was really clear what the big, most important thing is. You know, we talk a lot about doing fewer, bigger, better. Um, and prioritising things, and then you never do because they're like, do this and then do this and all do that as well. But actually, we had this huge juggernaut going through, and there was perfect prioritisation that you know you wave the Olympic card and you get it, and that applied to people as well. I got to the very best people working on the project because everybody understood that we need to swarm around it and, and make sure that it works. And I think the really hot kind of um, tech topic at the moment in development, in particular, is testing. Yeah. I mean, how do you go about testing? Um, uh, invest really, really heavily in it. I had a team of uh, testers who were as big as any one of the individual development teams. So I had uh, eight work streams delivering into me, mobile, tablet, connected TV, uh, the video backend, the data backend, and then there was a testing work stream as well, uh, which had as many people as any of those individual work streams. Uh, and um, my biggest tip is to finish your development as early as possible because particularly on a complicated project like that which is you know, a new uh, video backend, a new data backend, it's working across four. It's working across four screens and then of course you know the TV screens is you know that's 11 in and of itself, you know then you've got to make it work on Apple and Android and you know, the, you know, making all of those things work, um, particularly for something like the Olympics which you know, everything has to work from the get-go. So finish your development as much as early as possible and then give yourself proper time for integrating and testing with other things. Um, and uh, you know, we ran a phony Olympics every single day 
for three months. We ran the data, we ran the video, uh, and we were testing it with fake stuff, but there is nothing like real stuff. So test it on real things. You know, we tested it on uh, Wimbledon, we tested it on Formula One, we tested it on the Golden Jubilee. Get real people looking at your stuff as early as possible. Uh, and, and my last tip is uh, understand your, minimal viable, your minimum viable product and make that and then change it afterwards. But don't try and boil the ocean and make it as perfect as possible. What is, what is the minimum you can do that will achieve your business aims and wow people? Build that, get it out there with real people and then change it. Tech truck can be heard in the future at some point on Zone One Radio. This is Zone One Radio. That's all for Zone One Digest this week. What a digest it's been. Well, it's been interesting people sandwiched between me complaining about the weather. Find me fascinating, damn it, I put effort into these links. You can catch all the latest action and excitement on zone1radio.com. That's zone1radio.com, a place all but void of dreary long-head gremlins like me. To end, I think we'll head over to Community Profile with Tom Ducrow and Caroline Davies with an edition about property, somewhere warm and with heating. Thanks for listening, and here's Community Profile. Most people like the idea of living in the centre of town, but few can afford the sky-high rents. However, some people are living in Zone 1, but only paying £300 a month. Sounds too good to be true. Well, it is true, but it might not be for everyone. Companies such as Ad Hoc, Camelot and Global offer you the chance to become a property guardian. These schemes run across the country, but are most popular here in the capital. We went to Camelot head office to find out what being a property guardian means. Hello, my name is Stephen Davis. I'm the business development manager for Camelot Property Management. Well, we provide a security solution for clients that have vacant properties um, to protect them whilst they are empty. Um, and we place very carefully vetted and selected guardians, as we describe them, to live in those properties to look after them. So being a property guardian means living in derelict or disused buildings and looking after them. Could you describe your typical guardian? Uh, typical guardians are sort of 20s, early 30s age group. Um, they all have to be working people from different um, uh, difference of background, should we say. We do tend to favour uh, key workers, junior you know, doctors, nurses, people like that. Um, and in fact, about half of our Camelot staff have actually chosen to become guardians as well. So it's across the board. So that's the theory, but what's it like in practice? We went off to meet two guardians, Heather and Paula, in their converted church in Balham. Paula tells us more about this extraordinary building that they live in. It's very pretty from the outside. It's got nice windows, nice stained glass windows. Fortunately, I don't have one in my room. If you imagine a church which had pews, if you were going to a service, you've just got the centre of that really hollowed out. The perimeter is made into floors, which was then made into little rooms for the former residents, which were disabled and deaf children.
Kenny YouTube. Profile can be heard every week on zone1radio.com. Zone1radio.com.